1: this week on the chicago bears review before closing the book on our afc south opponents we move on to the final chapter and take a look at last year's defending division champion in the one and only houston texans can the texans get back to the playoffs or are they back to second fiddle in the south Brett Coleman from Battle Red Bluff joins us for the final AFC South preview episode of the Chicago Bears Review. The fourth and final AFC South preview, number six out of 14 preview episodes, getting you ready for our beloved's 2016 regular season. What's going on, everybody? Larity back for the Houston Texan preview, part number four of the AFC South opponent preview for our beloved Chicago Bears Brett Coleman from BattleRedblog.com on SB Nation be joining us here in just a few moments uh, just got done talking with him a few moments ago great talk that we had a lot of information uh, about the Texans and you know now that I've had a chance to talk to everybody all four teams in this division I can honestly say that if you asked me to pick who the division winner would be Honestly, I would probably have to go with the Texans uh, again after talking to everybody and just the supreme confidence. And it's not really a, a Homer thing that I'm getting where this team can do no wrong. You know, there's a lot of fact behind it. And, and and I really think that as far as who is who is prepared to take this division, I really think it's the Texans are in the best position to to stay on top as as great as uh, as Andrew Luck can be um, I just think there's there's still a few holes on the defensive side uh for the uh for the Colts they don't you heard Josh Wilson say last time they they really don't have a pass rusher to uh To speak of, and uh, even though they went out and made some improvements, the offensive line uh, for the Colts is still kind of up in in the air right now. And Frank Gore is is supposed to be the running back of the and and whatnot. To me, there's just not enough there for the for the Colts to to finally take hold uh, and win that thing. You know, as as great as Andrew Luck is and will be, as far as I'm concerned, um, I, I don't think he can. I think he can definitely get the Colts to the playoffs, but I don't know if he can win the division. Now with the with the way the AFC forecast is, it's probably a one and done as far not not, not as far as like in the actual playoffs, but I'm talking about one team from the South is probably all that's going to get in. Crazier things have happened, but that's kind of all I'm seeing uh, right now. And I believe that team uh, is going to be the Houston Texans so I mean when when you hear Brett talk about the team uh, the really interesting talk about um, Brock Osweiler whereas a lot of people kind of scratch their heads man how can you give that guy who's only got about six or seven games under his belt and you know didn't really get to do a whole lot or he didn't do a whole lot ended up getting benched by by you know returning peyton manning and blah 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 you know how can you give that guy 72 million dollars how you just hand the reins of the franchise over to him like that listen to what brett has to say about it and the picture becomes a lot clearer as to how the texans could come to that decision based on what they saw and It'll be even more interesting when you hear who had a who had a role to play in why it was that the Texans are probably the the better fit uh, for Osweiler than going back to uh, to Denver. So I'm looking forward to uh, to having you guys say hear that and, and getting your thoughts on. On that, do you guys agree with me? Is is this the Texans' division to lose, or or is are they were they just the placeholder when when Andrew Luck went down and the Colts weren't going to do it, so somebody had to, and it was going to be the Texans? So, or are you out there thinking that maybe the Jags or the Titans might be able to pull it off? Let me know uh, what you guys are, are thinking there. So, um, not a whole lot going on in Bear Kingdom this week. Um, the Bears did make a few uh, roster moves. Uh, we signed uh, Tony Moyaki, um, most famously um, with the Kansas City Chiefs. That's the team that he was drafted to, had some very good years early on in his career uh, with them. Uh, then kind of got bit by the injury bug and has kind of you know kind of skipped around the league the last couple years. Uh, I know he spent some time in Seattle. I think last year he was with the uh, Falcons, came into the Bears uh, for a tryout. And, um, you know, the Bears uh, went ahead and uh, signed him, so he's been added to the roster. Uh, we couldn't get Malik Jackson in um, in free agency, so we went out and signed his twin brother, uh, who, was, um, who was a more productive player, believe it or not, in the Arena League, but uh, somebody that was familiar with John Fox. They had him in camp uh, in Denver, uh, the two brothers there together, and uh, he got signed off of... Uh, you know uh, out of the 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 um, mini camps and such he's at least gonna get a visit and invite to uh, to training camp so he's gonna be joining the Bears uh, uh, as well so just those couple of uh, just a couple of moves uh, there uh, moyaki'm I'm, I'm interested to see can he be, because that was actually the headline uh, that I saw was, can he be the next Zach Miller? Because he very much has a track record like Miller, Miller with all the potential in the world, and when he was on the field, he was productive, but the problem was he couldn't keep himself on the field. When he was drafted, uh, Moyaki when he was drafted by the Chiefs, I believe he was a second or a third-round pick for them, uh, kind of replaced uh, Tony Gonzalez after he was traded to the Falcons uh, years ago um came right in and you know pretty much filled the spot in admirably behind uh behind uh Gonzalez after he left town and uh you know was uh was quite the rave uh for them and then I believe it was uh, he suffered a knee injury, and then it was just basically just kind of injured his way out of town. Like I said, he was with – I saw, you know, I said maybe he was with Seattle, and last year I believe he was with the Falcons, you know, just kind of skipping around before, he you know, he comes to Chicago this year. You know, the very similar story with Zach Miller. Can he be the next Zach Miller, a guy that has the potential, has proven to be um, productive when he's on the field? But now, can he keep himself on the field and prove that he is worth the opportunity that the Bears are giving him? So, time will tell. Is, uh, you know, Moiaki going to be that other tight end that we have on the field, or is he just going to be, you know, sweating it up in Bourbon A and then off he goes at the end of uh, training camp? So, we'll have to wait and see uh, with that. And then finally, um, the whole Brian Robinson thing. It, um, it really has turned out to be an extremely unfortunate uh, situation. Uh, more details have come out uh, since the, uh, since it was first um, released. Um, and it, it would appear that um, that B Rob, and, and I was reminded actually reading, reading an article about it that, that Brian Robinson was most likely...
2: We're driven by the search for better.
0: The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast
1: app. That's all one word, Broomgate. Yay. And um, I obviously, I do not have a problem with that. I think that, you know, that it would be... You know, it, it, it's about time that, that somebody in the NFL that isn't Michael Sam is, uh, you know, guys that are currently playing. It would probably surprise us all if it, you know, if some guys came out of the closet and kind of thing. It's just um, it's unfortunate that that, you know, he wasn't living out loud, uh, if you will, because all the details are, you know, very scandalous. He was found in a hotel in Milwaukee. He was said to be a regular uh, at this hotel, he checked in with another man, red flag and when they found him in the room, he was face down on the bed with you know there was alcohol marijuana and i quote lube on the uh the you know found in the room on the dresser or 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 whatnot you know and and I was reminded of back in two thousand and three he like right before he left the team, actually, there was an allegation that um that that brian robinson had made uh was uh, you know there was complaints of sexual harassment or sexual assault by a man on uh brian robinson of course it was all dismissed that's crazy that never happened blah 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 and then you know this happened it was in milwaukee wisconsin and brian robinson lives in gurney illinois which i know personally my father lived in that area for many many years is you know about 10 minutes from from great america uh there are six flags which probably better known to most of the most of the country but that's about an hour or so hour and a half away uh, from that area to be traveling up there for your little rendezvous uh, and such you know easier said than done to be you know to come out and and all that kind of stuff I just think it's unfortunate that for the most part this is how the world finds out uh, about something like that you know it just you know, nothing wrong, nothing to be ashamed of, uh, you know, at this especially in this day and age, you know, with the with the whole gay marriage thing, be you know, becoming legal across the country and, and all that kind of thing. I, I just think it's unfortunate. It's, it's a shame for him that, number one, that he had to pass away at such a young age, only 41, which scares the hell out of me. I'm only 38, so, you know, it was only a couple years older than me. He suffered sudden death and, and, you know, stuff like that. But to have it happen in those circumstances – uh and everything and um you know just it, it really it, it makes it even more tragic than than it was before with with him just passing away at such a uh you know such a young age uh but to have him die in such circumstances and, and to have it be you know have that cloud over him that you know basically he wasn't being honest with uh you know obviously he's being honest with himself but not honest with the rest of the world and 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 all that kind of stuff it, it's uh it's unfortunate, you know, and I and I, um, you know, I'm not trying to, to 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 you know berate him or you know put him down uh, or, or anything like that. It's just unfortunate to find out or for the world to find out or you know to be able you know maybe at some point he wanted to tell the world that this is who he was or you know maybe he's bisexual or you know whatever the case may be. Um, you know, it's it's unfortunate that it went down uh, the way it did. You know, it's kind of going to cast a cloud uh, over everything else because of the circumstances uh, of his death. And uh, I don't think it's fair. But, um, you know, unfortunately, it happened the way that it did. And, uh, you know, like I said, thoughts and prayers to to Brian Robinson and to his family, um, you know, going forward. It's uh, it's 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 just too bad it happened the way that it did. So anyway, sorry to bring you guys down. Uh, I wasn't trying to make a political statement or anything like that. Like personally, I just, you know. I just uh, it's it's too bad that it had happened that way. Brian Robinson, for the most part, he you know, and spoken very highly uh, by his teammates. Brian Urlacher, you know, had some had some very nice things to say about him. The Bears with that dedication that I read to you guys on the last show. Uh, Lance Briggs, I follow him on Twitter and Facebook. He was talking about. Uh, You know, what a great guy and and everything to, you know, what he was and what a great player he was. And, uh, you know, he had a much longer career than I thought he did. I mean, he was with the Bears for about five or six seasons, six season, I think it was. And then he ended up playing like five or six more outside of the organization, played in Super Bowl 43 with the Cardinals right at the tail end of his uh, his career. So, um, you know, but um, as it is with most uh, athletes, if you make your mark in Chicago, that's pretty much where you're going to be and even though he he played almost more outside of chicago than he did actually in it the chicago land area ended up being his home living in gurnee just uh, about uh, 45 miles north of the uh, of the city so you know like i said unfortunate circumstances uh, and you know kind of cast a cloud over everything and you know and and taint his name and i don't think it's fair so just wanted to kind of put that out there so anyway like i said sorry to bring you guys down about that um, or anything but um let's go ahead and 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 get to why we're here and we are here to close the book on the AFC South and talk about the Houston Texans and we bring in our new friend Brett Coleman from battleredblog.com on SB Nation to help us preview the 2016 Houston Texans. <laughs> And here to help us close the chapter on the AFC South as we complete our journey from worst to first, we have uh, Brett Coleman from is it Battle Red Blog? Is that is that right? I've yep, you got it right, Battle okay. Red Blog. Always seem to kind of forget what it actually was. I would keep calling it the Houston Texans blog, and uh, <laughs> so I I apologize for that. But Brett Coleman from Battle Red Blog, welcome to the Chicago Bears Review.
2: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: So Brett, you know. Um, since this is your first time, I do this is everybody that we have on the show for the first time. Um, you know, how long have you been a Texans fan?
2: Uh, since I was a wee little lad, I, I, I kind of grew up with the team. Uh, I'm a Southern California native, but I I never really latched on to any of the California teams. You know, the Niners, the the Chargers, the Raiders. I just I never really. Uh, felt like a part of their fan base mainly because i was in orange county so none of the california teams were even local to orange county right uh, my dad worked in houston at the time i just kind of latched onto the texans they were a new franchise and you know through through thick and thin i've kind of stuck with them the last you know 15 years ish
1: so how old are you
2: i am 25 now
1: 25 okay yeah. so so you are you are older than the team But um, not by much, not by much. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So so it isn't like um, you were an Oilers fan and then just that just transitioned into the Texans. Who were you rooting for before the Texans came around? Uh,
2: I was just kind of a a freelance fan. I just kind of watched football just for the sake of watching football. And, you know, I had favorite players here and there. But, uh, you know, I I really didn't start loving a, a team individually until the Texans when I was a kid.
1: So are you in Houston, or are you in California? And...
2: No, I'm still in California, still okay. uh, still working at the NFL Network out there in Culver City. And
1: You I've work worked... at the network?
2: Uh, I do, yeah, yeah. I'm oh, a...
1: dude, so jealous. <laughs>
2: I'm in production over there. So, oh. Fortunately, there's not a lot of TV jobs out in Houston, so I'll be right. sticking in Southern California for the foreseeable future.
1: Yeah, because there's a few TV jobs in California. <laughs>
2: yeah, just a few.
1: Just a few. All right, so... Wow, we got, dude, so jealous. I did not know that, that you worked at NFL Network. Ah, you you suck, man. This interview's (laughs) over. Get out of here. Oh, man. Talk about a dream job. Because I was in broadcasting, too, when I was in school. But uh, I don't know where I went wrong. But anyway... um, so 2015 for the Texans as well as pretty much just about every team in the division was, was such a crazy kind of up-and-down year filled with plenty of frustrations. Um, the team starts out 2-5. and five. Uh, You managed to finish 9-7, and seven, so you had a good finish. You went 7-2 and two in the last nine games before that playoff game. Um, I'm sure you don't want to spend much time talking. About the playoff game, so we we'll kind of, kind of glaze. Yeah. That was glaze. a rough day. Yeah, a real rough was, day. <laughs> that was kind of, you know, the thirty to nothing at home in the wild card round. That's uh, that's not one you exactly want to talk about very much, uh, there. But. You know, talk a little bit about the year in general. I mean, I watched. I mean, they were the they were the 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 the, uh, the focus team on Hard Knocks last year, so we all kind of saw the beginning of the quarterback battle. How uncertain O'Brien seemed to be about naming um, Hoyer the, the the starter going to Week One, only to just you know renig on that week two and then put mallet in there and then that was pretty much like the tone for the year is that even though hoyer played the majority of the games o'brien never really seemed settled as to who he wanted under the under center
2: yeah and and that was kind of what really doomed them in the first half of the season up to the dolphins games that they just couldn't really make a decision on who was going to be the guy and uh you know there's the old saying if you have two quarterbacks you have no quarterbacks and that's exactly what happened they they, they didn't feel confident in anybody on this roster when it came to the quarterback depth chart. And uh, it caused a lot of turmoil. Uh, it caused a lot of indecision. And uh, ultimately, it negatively affected the team. And they really didn't start getting a lot better until Ryan Mallett was booted. And when Brian Hoyer became the, uh, you know, the unquestioned starter, the team could finally just put that issue to rest. They could focus on winning and win they did a lot in the last half of the season.
1: Yeah, I was I was looking at the at the schedule last year and and I was looking at the first eight games because the Texans had the the bye week right dead center in the middle last year and in the first eight games only twice in the first eight games did the defense allow less than 20 points. Both games that you, you were 3 and 5 in the first eight games and in two of the wins, you know, that those were the only times that they scored less than 20, but in the second half of the season you only allowed 20 points more than once so what 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 changed for the defense to where they actually you know went from being one of the most scored upon defenses in the league to actually finishing I think in the top 10 by the end of the season
2: one guy Raheem Moore and he was benched he he led up four touchdowns individually by himself uh, in that horrific dolphins loss of 50 okay. or more yards. By himself, he let up four touchdowns of fifty or more yards. He Isn't was he a safety. He yeah, he was the, the he was the free safety at the time, okay. and he was awful. And he only made it one year through his contract. The Texans signed him in uh, last off season, and they released him once he got benched in the Dol- after the Dolphins game. He never saw the field again. He was the worst player on the team, and then he was replaced by a second year player, Andre Hal, who uh, he was converted corner to safety, he started out in the cornerback depth chart his rookie year as a seventh-round pick out of Vanderbilt. They moved him to safety just because they wanted to get him on the field, and he was phenomenal. He led the team in interceptions despite only starting half the season. He was great, whether he was as a single high center fielder, whether they moved it down to play a little bit in the slot. He completely changed the defense by himself just by the fact that he was re- replacing somebody as bad as Raheem Moore. And, uh, you know, in those last nine games, five of those nine games, they only allowed six points. They snapped the Saints' touchdown streak of like 120 games. You know, it was the longest in NFL history, and they snapped it. Uh, just because as soon as soon Mo- as soon as Moore was benched, the communication issues went away, The taking bad angles, to ball carriers went away. They weren't allowing these gigantic touchdowns anymore. And the defense became the best in the NFL. People talk about the Broncos being the best defense last year. But in the final nine games, they allowed eight fewer points per game than the Broncos, which is huge. They were by far, by far the number one defense in the NFL as soon as Raheem Moore was on the bench. Like, it wasn't even close. And, of course, he's off the roster now. Most of the defense that that, uh, really locked everybody down in that final half of the season, they're going to be returning. They didn't really lose any major starters. Andre Howell is, again, the starter at free safety. They're trying to figure out who's going to start next to him. But this is a defense that is returning their entire core. They're one more year in Romeo Cornell's system. They all communicate very well with one another. They have athletes all over the place. This is going to be an incredible defense in 2016.
1: Well, then, all of a sudden, I'm not looking forward to Week One, but um, you know, that's when we play each other. Hey, so that that
2: Bears defense is pretty damn good too. Yeah,
1: they, are, <laughs> you know, and it's it's all potential though, right now. So I mean, until we actually see them on the field together, it's all it's all what ifs and isn't this you know can't this possibly be the most awesome thing ever? But we'll we'll see how it all uh, uh, all boils down.
2: You got Pernell McPhee. Yep. They they re- completely redid the linebacking core. Yep. They grabbed Leonard Ford in the draft. Letter Floyd in the draft. You got a, a really good young nose tackle in Eddie Goldman. Adrian Amos balled out as a rookie fifth rounder at safety. Fuller's a, a pretty decent number one corner. I mean, that's that's got the makings of, of a pretty good defense, a sneaky good defense.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic though. So I mean I'm I am definitely more on the positive side, but uh you know, it's it's it ever. And actually, it's not something it's not necessarily a, a bear fan thing. It's more of a football thing. Like if you remember back in 2011, when the Eagles had put that dream team together right after the lockout. Oh, yeah. You know, they went out and they signed awesome Juan. They got this guy. They got that guy. Oh, my God. The Eagles are going to be amazing. They didn't even make the playoffs that year. You know, so it's just like, you know, the Bears, they went out and got Trevathan. They got Jarrell Freeman, Akeem Hicks, and they drafted Leonard Floyd. Uh, you know, they had another solid draft. The experts were all crazy about it. We'll see how it all happens when they get everybody together on the field uh, and everything like that. So it's like I said, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm super excited, but I'm kind of, uh, you know, kind of reining it in a little bit just because history tends to, you know, Not treat things well sometimes so we'll uh we'll we'll see how that uh how that all plays out but uh, you know speaking of uh, of you know uh, you know actually one thing i wanted to ask before we move on from 20 before we move on is last year even though it was like what year 14 15 for the texans last year was the first time that you guys finally beat indianapolis in indianapolis oh yeah i mean i mean i mean even back in in 2011 that that year that Peyton had to sit out and they were the worst team in football one of their two or three wins was over the texans a playoff team in indianapolis late in the season it actually cost the texans like home field advantage in the afc
2: if you told me at the start of last year that brandon whedon was going to be the quarterback to finally beat indy in indy <laughs> i would have laughed in your face
1: yeah so, But how did it feel to finally get that get that hump, you know, get over that hump? Like that that's something that doesn't ever have to be questioned again is can we finally beat Indianapolis in Indianapolis? Do you think maybe it was a mental thing and now the team is finally over it?
2: I think they proved they can do it with Brandon Whedon, so they think they can do it with anybody. Right. You know, I mean, if you're going to get the, the monkey off your back, especially with Andrew Luck was out, so, you know, people are going to say, oh, Andrew Luck wasn't there, doesn't count. I don't care. They did it with Brandon Whedon. It counts. It absolutely counts. It will always count. And if you can do it with him as your quarterback, you can do it with anybody.
1: Yeah, I mean, because I mean, that 2011 team was awesome, and uh, you know that the, they they had it healthy and Arian Foster and Matt Schaub was the quarterback, and you know that thing just you just and it was like a Thursday night game, and it just. You know Reggie Wayne had uh, you know that that crazy game and, and all that kind. Of, it was just in, insane the way that all. I could not believe you guys didn't win that game. I was like, what? It's like this was supposed to be the year that they finally did it, but uh, you know, go figure. It took fifteen years to finally get over over the hump on that one. So, so now we move on to the off season and. The one thing that I really liked about the offseason was that looking at the way the Texans were aggressive in free agency, you wouldn't think this was a team that finished first place and made uh, the playoffs. And, um, you know, they go out and Lamar Miller, they sign Jeff Allen. And then the big move, which blew a lot of people's minds, um, Osweiler. They signed Brock Osweiler. Not only did they sign him, you know, $72 million over four years, $37 million guaranteed you know what were your thoughts when that was all going down and, and when it finally came to fruition
2: you know uh, conveniently enough last week I, I put out a, uh, a film room episode on Brock Osweiler my thoughts on his first seven starts with the Broncos uh, it came out to a, a very lengthy 27 minutes but it was about as thorough as I could possibly be on my thoughts on him and really it boiled down to the fact that he was very limited in the Gary Kubiak offense. There's a, a difference between the Earhart Perkins offense, which is what the Texans are on, same thing that the Patriots have run forever. Um, the Bears ran it last year with Adam Gase, which some believe that's why Jay Cutler had such a great year because it gives the quarterback so much freedom. So, you know, Houston runs Earhart Perkins. Kubiak has always run his same zone run scheme, West Coast passing game. It's very, very limiting Compared to the Earhart Perkins offense, because in the Earhart Perkins offense, any single personnel group, any single play call with one word can become anything else. As soon as the quarterback gets to the line of scrimmage, he's going to be looking at what the defense gives him, and he'll change the play based on that to attack a certain weakness. It's what Peyton Manning's done forever. In the West Coast offense that Kubiak runs, you get a double call. You get a run call and you get a pass call based on the front, based on the coverage. You might change it. You might not. But you can't really adjust individual routes. You can't put in individual concepts to attack certain things you see because you just don't have that same kind of freedom under Gary Kubiak. After the first couple weeks of the season, when they realized that that wasn't going to work with Peyton Manning, they went back to what Peyton Manning does well, which is changing stuff at the line of scrimmage. When Brock Osweiler played, Gary Kubiak did not give him that same freedom. And it was funny because there's a ex coach of the Chargers that was on NFL Live last week who was saying that when they were preparing for Brock Osweiler in week 17, they did not put in any disguises in their defense because they knew he was not allowed to change plays. When they yanked him and put in Peyton, all of a sudden Peyton was changing his plays. They didn't have any disguises built in and they went on to win the game. So that was right. a big difference. And Brock Osweiler hated that because under Adam Gase, you know, that was what he was developed in. He was developed. Uh, uh, behind Peyton Manning as a a quarterback who can change stuff at the line, who can identify blitzes, change protections, do whatever he wants. And when he finally gets his shot, he's in an offense that doesn't let him do that. So now he's going to Houston where he can do that with a whole bunch of terminology he's very familiar with. Um, the, The reviews so far at minicamp have been outstanding in terms of his ability to take over the huddle, make decisions, do everything that he was taught to do behind Peyton Manning when you throw in the fact that he's got very good eye discipline, great arm strength, great size, um, his footwork improved massively throughout the year. I mean, Chicago teed off on him in his first start. I mean, yeah, m- they did. McPhee and young were just getting after him the entire day. His feet got a little bit wild. Um, which, you know, to be expected in his first start, going against a pass rusher like Pernell McPhee, you kind of expect that. But then all of a sudden, next week against the Patriots, his feet looked fantastic. Against the Bengals, again, fantastic. All these great AFC teams, mechanically, he fixed himself, which tells me he can improve. Which tells me he he's willing to get better and fix himself. Yeah. And I love yeah, he's that. Coachable. He's coachable. He's very coachable. Yeah. So he's coachable. He's got size. He's got arm strength. He's got eye discipline. He has intelligence. He's going to an offense that better fits his skill set. I have no reason to believe that he will not be a a much much better quarterback than the Texans have had uh, basically since the prime years of Matt Schaub you know, five six years ago.
1: So what you're saying is that you don't have a problem with the Texans putting all of their quarterback eggs in the Osweiler basket?
2: Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. He he has the talent. He has the intelligence. He has the leadership. I mean, the Broncos offered him you know, $16.5 million, the Texans gave him 18 In the grand scheme of things for a quarterback, that's not a huge difference. It's really not. And where they were last year at quarterback is not going to get it done. So I'm fine with them giving him an extra million and a half a year just to make sure that that question, no matter what, of who the starting quarterback is, is answered forever.
1: And also, you know, listening to you talk about it with the situation that he had in Denver, it, it kind of gives credence to his claim that it wasn't about being benched against the the Chargers. Maybe he didn't want to go back to Denver because he didn't want to be handcuffed like he was in Kubiak's offense anymore.
2: And he even said, you know, he kind of filtered himself a little bit, but he said that he preferred the offensive concepts that the Texans ran. He said, oh, you know, I like Kubiak's offense, but I think what the Texans do – Fits my skill set. This is what he was talking about. He was talking about the freedom at the line of scrimmage you get in the Earhart Perkins system compared to what you get in the West Coast offense that Gary Kubiak runs. And I'm sure you saw it last year with Jay Cutler. I mean, how many receivers were were injured at the same time for Chicago? And he was still able to produce because he had the freedom at the line of scrimmage under Adam Gase. To, to look at whatever the defense was giving him, adjust routes and hit a four-string receiver for a first down. You know, th- when you give that kind of power to a quarterback, he can make anybody look good, and that's what Cutler did last year. That's what Brock is going to do in twenty sixteen.
1: You know, and, and and you brought up an excellent point. It's something that I that I tried to talk to my my Bear fan listeners or just my fellow Bear fans in general who who think that 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 Cutler is the second coming of Satan himself. Um, but, you know, it's like last year. You know, Jeffrey was only healthy for nine games. Eddie Royal, I think, was healthy for even less than that. You know, Martellus Bennett was in and out of the lineup. Our starting wide receivers for the last three games were a practice squad player, uh, an undrafted rookie free agent, and Mark Mariani. You know, it's like, and, you know, he still lit up the Lions in that final game and and everything. It's like, imagine what he could have done with a healthy Kevin White, a healthy Austin Jeffrey, and a healthy Martellus Bennett. We probably could have been a playoff team. Uh, just based on that alone last year, was so restricted with the injuries. And it was just a disaster as far as that uh, that concerns. And, you know, Adam Gase's offense, you know, Cutler really did. It really did fit like a glove to him.
2: You know, if Forte was healthy, if Jeffrey was healthy, if White was healthy, if Royal was a healthy in the slot, you know, if they were able to gel – early in the year because they started out awful but after the first few weeks all of a sudden they started winning and people were like oh wow okay Chicago's not going to be as easy to beat as we thought if they had it together from the beginning and they never got hurt I don't think that you can't say that they wouldn't have won the division I I think they would have been just as good as Minnesota and Green Bay I think they very easily could have at least at least made the wild card made a push for the division and Again, if everybody was healthy, we saw what Adam Gase's offense could do. If Cutler had the weapons necessary to to really unleash what he can do, I think they would have been a very, very difficult team to beat last year. It's just unfortunate it didn't work out that
1: way. Yeah, I mean, they, it, it turned out they they kind of ended up being a tough out anyway, which after 2014 is really all we could ask for as Bear fans. It's like not to be the joke that they were, and, and especially in the bottom half of 2014. So to watch them at least put up a fight with everybody uh, last year was 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 satisfying to at least get me through the season with all of my sanity <laughs> uh, intact. So, But of all the things that the Texans did, and we'll talk about the draft in just a second, uh, throughout the draft and in free agency, the, the one hole that I see is in the tight end position. Who do you guys have at tight end right now? Nobody. I mean, really. Really. Yeah, that's <laughs> – because I've been looking at my magazines and it, it's, it appears that you're going to do a tight end by committee, but it also might even be tipping the hand to the defense. Like, when this tight end is in, we're going to throw the ball. And with this tight end in, we like him because he's a blocker, so we're going to be running when he's in the
2: game. And, and that's, that's honestly what they are going to do because – you know, Bill O'Brien heavily favors to have players of different skill sets to f- perform different roles. If they can if they can do it all, yeah, fine, that's great. He'll take that at any day of the week. But he recognizes the fact that there's very few players that can do it all. So if he can't get a player that can do it all, he'll at least get players that do one thing really well. So he'll have C.J. Fedoritz as his blocking tight end. He'll have Ryan, Ryan Griffin as his big-bodied red zone threat. And uh, there's a rookie, undrafted rookie, Steven Anderson, who is at Cal, who's... Uh, you know, that smaller H-back kind of tight end. He's purely a receiver. So there's a decent chance he'll make the team, and he'll he'll actually have a, a pretty good-sized role to fill as the receiving tight end, because at the moment, they don't really have anybody on the roster who can consistently move the chains at the tight end position. They don't have anybody who can consistently get open. Uh, it, it's kind of, you have two big-bodied run blockers and, and Steven Anderson. So we'll see what he can do next year as a rookie, but the vast majority of the of the passing production in this offense is going to be from the wide receivers and from the running backs.
1: So moving on to the, uh, to the draft, um, Todd McShay in love with what the guys did. I remember he talked about that throughout the entire process, from the moment you guys took Will Fuller in the first round to taking – Uh, that running back, Irvin, in in the fourth round, he just went on and on about, you know, I love what the Texans are doing. I love what the Texans are doing. Were you on the same boat as it was happening or was it something that you had to analyze and go back? Like, you know what, they did did do pretty well.
2: You know, we we expected them to take a receiver in the first. I didn't expect Uh it to be Will Fuller, but we expected them to take a receiver in the first. What we did not expect was for them to take basically anybody they could get their hands on that ran sub 4-4. And (laughs) I loved it. I didn't expect it, but I loved it. And what O'Brien said after the draft was that every single receiver in his offense, one through five, he wants to have a different skill set. Something that they can do really, really well, like I said with the tight ends, that maybe the rest of their guys can't do well. And he does that because they run a game plan offense. They're going to craft their specific plays that they're going to run every single week and the concepts they're going to highlight based on whatever the defense they're facing, whatever their weakness is. If they don't have speed at corner, that's going to be a Will Fuller week because he's going to be able to blow, pot, blow by any corner that runs you know above a four, four5, basically. He's gotten that extra step on them. If it's going to be against small corners, it's going to be a Jalen Strong and DeAndre Hopkins week. If they have a weak nickel corner that like maybe they can't guard the slot as well, that's going to be a Braxton Miller and Cecil Shorts week. Whatever a defense does not do well he now has somebody with a specific skill set that is tailor-made to exploit it. That's why they went so heavy on weapons, is because they didn't have anybody outside of DeAndre Hopkins with any sort of marketable skill set. You had Jalen Strong, who was you know, theoretically that big-bodied guy, but he hadn't really done anything yet. He's gotten rave reviews in camp so far. But again, you couldn't really rely on... Just Hopkins and just strong. You didn't have anybody with deep speed. You didn't have anybody who could really destroy people from the slot. They didn't have a pure receiving tight end. They didn't even have a great running back once Aaron Foster was gone that could catch the ball. So they got Lamar Miller, again, somebody who could operate as a receiver and and hurt defenses that maybe don't have speed at linebacker. And then you got Tyler Irvin, and they created an entirely new position for Tyler Irvin called the edge position, which is like a hybrid running back slot receiver So against teams that – uh, maybe respond to two back sets with base defense. That's an automatic motion out to the slot, and they're going to have a matchup problem every single time. So again, he he has all these weapons with all these different skill sets. So whatever you do, no matter what, you're going to have a weakness to somebody on this team.
1: Wasn't Irvin one of the ones that uh, had scored like 60 touchdowns or something like that? Because uh, I think like in the fourth round when they got chosen, there were running backs that were chosen back-to-back and these guys combined scored like 120-something touchdowns in their career or something like that
2: he's pretty high up there on the san jose state leaderboards i'll tell you that much i mean he was a returner he he returned kicks he returns punts he was a a receiver there he was a running back there he did literally everything and that's what he's going to do in houston is basically whatever a defense doesn't do well they're going to put him at that position that week and I, i really can't wait to watch
1: so you are salivating over the possibilities of this uh of this offense and what they can do.
2: Oh, absolutely. Because, you know, they they face a lot of good defenses next year. They face the Vikings. You know, obviously the Bears, I think they'll be a lot better. They face the Patriots. They face the Bengals. You know, a lot of great, great defensive players. Even, you know, the Broncos, the Chiefs, the Raiders, the whole AFC West slate. But now they have, again, a lot of speed and a lot of guys with very specific skill sets. So even all these great defenses, they're not going to be great Everywhere, every single elite defense has at least one weakness. All of them do. There's no perfect defense. So now they have somebody week in and week out that they can turn to, regardless of whatever defense they're facing, that they'll get a matchup they like.
1: So speaking of uh, defenses, we'll flip it over into the, to the more solid, more consistent unit on the team. Because, at you know, looking at the – I mean, just in that wild card game, you know, there was only so much the defense could do um with brian hoyer um i, I was i and i think I, I jokingly put on facebook at one point i wonder how much money hoyer has on the chiefs in this game <laughs> you know because he went on a string like he threw like five interceptions in a row or something crazy like that you're giving a punt return or the opening kickoff was a, it was an opening kickoff wasn't it yeah a touchdown first play of the game yeah so you know that just set the tone right away that this wasn't going to be houston's day you know offense and special teams really let you guys down uh in that uh in that in that playoff game but the defense has always been there for you JJ Watt had surgery to repair a few different things what's his what's his prognosis is he going to be ready for training camp is he aiming for week 1 and what's the what's the story with him
2: He should be ready for training camp but you know as is tradition they're not going to play him at all in the preseason they'll probably let him take it light during training camp cuz it's J.J. Watt. You know they know they don't really have to do anything. He's gonna show up. He's gonna be a beast. I mean, he's he's so good at this point. Yeah, he's so good at this point. Like you you don't really coach him anymore. You know he's you know he's good. You know he knows the defense. You know he's super athletic. You know he's gonna be in shape. Like he's he's the kind of guy that you just say, okay, here's a check. Just show up on game day. You'll be fine. Right. You know, it's, it's the rest of the defense. They're pretty banged up right now. That's where I get a little bit concerned, particularly in the secondary. Uh, the, Kareem Jackson and A.J. Bouye are basically their only healthy corners right now. So you kind of hope that in the six-week period between now and training camp, they can get a little bit healthier because that's, that's more concerning to me than anything. Not, not necessarily Watt's injuries, but the fact that the whole secondary right now is banged up.
1: Well, speaking of unhealthy pass rushers, what's the deal with, with Jadavian? clowning I mean here's a guy that was one of the more anticipated you know draft prospects in in quite a long time I mean he was a number one pick from the moment he murdered that guy in Michigan in the Outback Bowl uh, a year before he was even drafted he gets drafted number one his first season ends prematurely with the microfracture uh, surgery and everything like that was banged up last year as well I mean he's entering year number this is year number three isn't it
2: it is year 3, yeah.
1: And, yeah. you know, he hasn't lived up to being the number 1 overall all pick. At this point, I mean, and, and at this point, you guys got to be regretting not just saying, you know, to hell with it, let's take Bridgewater and see what happens, you know, kind of thing. But you know, you get, we went with Clowney, and that's what happened, and you know, so what's the story with him going going forward? I mean, how much time does he have left to prove he is a number one pick?
2: Well, it was a funny story about that draft. Is apparently they didn't even want Bridgewater, but the the true debate they were having in the draft room was Clowney or Khalil Mack. And if you can oh, imagine, wow. if you can imagine a defense. With J.J. Watt, Khalil Mack, and Whitney Merciless. <laughs> I mean, you're not going to score, ever. Yeah, There's no crazy. way. Uh, but they did take Clowney, and, and the amount of, when he's been on the field, he's been a good player, particularly dominant against the run. He's one of the best run defenders in the entire league, ranked only behind maybe Khalil Mack in terms of edge defenders. Uh, you really can't run his direction. I remember, at, I think it was around week 11 or 12, the yards per carry – in terms of what edge defenders were allowing, Javion Clowney was the best in the entire NFL, and it was less than a yard per carry. If you ran his direction, you weren't going to go very far, and that kind of held true through the entire year, whether he was healthy or not. The problem was pass rushing, and he always was a little bit stiff in the hips, Uh, and if you're a stiff-hip pass rusher, you have to have really good hands, but with him being injured so much, he could never really develop his hands. He could never really develop his technique. So he didn't really start coming on as a pass rusher until the final, you know, four or five games. Because last year was basically his rookie year. Yeah. But word out of camp is that Vrabel's been working with him. Mike Vrabel, the linebackers coach of Patriots fame, that Vrabel's been working with him all offseason on his hands he's looked much better in terms of how he engages people in the chest in terms of using one arms longer than two principles you know how to disengage people from his chest when he does get held up on the edge you know if, if he can really nail down that technique and just become a technically proficient pass rusher to go along with as to uh, go along with that, uh, his athleticism not only will he be a dominant run defender but he can be a dominant pass rusher as well so i'm intrigued to see what he does in year 3 now that he's finally been healthy and and out of that microfracture surgery for you know a year and a half you know the, the knees looking good and uh as long as he's healthy as long as he's working on that technique he can be a fantastic player
1: cuz i'm i'm looking here right now at 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 a depth chart and he's not even starting in this particular depth chart that i'm looking at he's got Whitney Marcellus and John Simon in front of him at at outside linebacker
2: yeah Simon played on their strong side he was their Sam linebacker and and they did that because he works well with J.J. Watt J.J. Watt likes working with Simon because Watt freelances basically on whatever play uh any play he wants to so you know if they're trying to cut him one direction instead of trying to ride the cut and get to the front side of it on his own run he'll just backdoor it which most defensive ends are not allowed to do. You have to maintain your gap discipline. But he's so good and he's so athletic that the Texans just say, do whatever you want to do and we'll cover you. And Simon's the guy whose job it is to cover Watt. Whatever gap Watt goes in, Simon has to cover the other one. And uh, he knows that Watt's going to freelance. And Watt is very comfortable with his communication with Simon because he knows that whatever he does, Simon's going to have his back. On the other side, Clowney and Whitney Merciless are the, uh, they call him the jackbacker, the weak side rush linebackers Uh, Clowney depending on the week he seemed to start uh, mainly because they like him and run defense better but Merciless was their designated pass rusher and he was a much much more productive pass rusher than Clowney in the games that he was starting ahead of Clowney when Clowney was hurt you know he racked up 12 and a half sacks on the season basically as a rotational player and as a, a five game starter which is pretty damn good. Yeah. That means you're not getting a lot of snaps, you're not getting a lot of opportunities to start, and you're still putting up Pro Bowl numbers. So he's a guy that, uh, on occasion, they would have packages of Watt, Merciless, and Clowney, Clowney on the field at the same time, and it was really fun to watch because Merciless can kind of rush from anywhere. He does whatever he wants, again, as a, as a freestanding linebacker. And uh, I, I saw a couple snaps against Atlanta where he just buried their interior defensive lineman because he's so strong. And uh, I, I really can't wait to see what they do with all three of those guys next season. Because, again, Simon's probably going to be the starter of Sam. So Merciless and Clowney are going to be splitting snaps at Jack linebacker with maybe a, a triple outside linebacker look on passing downs. And, uh, you know, they're, they're so creative with all three of them. I really can't wait to watch what they do.
1: Yeah, Romeo Cornell really likes to get uh, get creative at times. Sure. Oh, yeah.
2: <laughs> He's got the talent, too. You might as well. Yeah
1: so just looking at the uh, at the schedule real quick obviously you got the Bears week one so that's the one that we are looking forward to but um, you know one of the pitfalls of finishing in first place means you have to face everyone else that finished in first place um, you got uh, New England on Thursday night week number three that's gonna be probably like your first real big test uh, of the season you have Cincinnati week 16 uh, that's a home game though so that'll be That'll be interesting to see. I'm, I'm wondering what the stakes are going to be for that game. Week 16 uh, at home against Cincinnati, two first-place teams that would possibly be in first place going at it at that point. And then, of course, you have the first game ever, or actually it's probably like, what, the second game, in, in Mexico City uh, against, the, uh, against the Raiders uh, on Monday Night Football. That's uh, interesting. Anything else in the schedule kind of jumping out at you for this season?
2: I mean, that game at Lambeau has the potential to be incredible especially yeah. if the Texans are as good as we think they're going to be, if the Packers are as good as we think they're going to be. I mean, playing at Lambeau is very hard to win, as it is, but uh, especially when Aaron Rodgers is playing like Aaron Rodgers can play, and that that has potential to be an incredible game. They have five primetime games, by the way, the Texans do, which is the absolute max, which tells you that the schedulers think the Texans are going to be pretty damn good, because they don't put you in five primetime games unless they think that you're going to be worthy of that. And in all these primetime games, you look at the Bengals week 16 Raiders, Mexico city. Uh, you got uh, Monday night at the Broncos. You have Sunday night hosting the Colts. Uh, they have another Thursday game against the Patriots. I mean, all of these great AFC teams that are all playoff teams in their own right. Maybe even the Raiders as a playoff team. I mean, this is going to be a hell of a schedule to try to get through. I mean, the, the, every single week, Every single week is going to be a tough challenge. Even the Jaguars, you know, playing twice against the Jaguars. They're so much better than they were last year in terms of the talent they've acquired. You know, this might be a case of where it's a 10 and 6 team where you think, okay, yeah, 10 and 6. They're okay, But just to survive this schedule and get to 10 wins, I think would be a success. Just because looking at all these great teams they are going to have to face. Oh, that's going to be a tough season.
1: You know, and, and and you lead me right into my next question. And I've asked this of everybody that I've spoken with uh, so far uh, about the about the AFC South. Just you know, from where they were a year ago, the division as a whole. You know, just and you know, all due respect, the Texans did not help the reputation of the AFC South by the in the in the playoff game. You know, because it was very much viewed upon as like, well, the Texans are going to the playoffs simply because somebody from the AFC South has to. You know, they they were there, and then that Kansas City game. Fell apart and, you know, in a heartbeat and didn't help matters much as far as the AFC South being a joke last year. But everybody went out. The Texans being aggressive both in the draft and in free agency. The Jaguars did the same thing. Tennessee did most of their heavy lifting in the draft with, you know, after they gave up the number one pick and everything. You know, what do you think the AFC South as a whole is going to look like? this year. I mean, it just seems like everybody's kind of brimming with potential. And, uh, you know, it's, it's one of the more interesting storylines that I'm looking forward to going into this season.
2: I think it's going to be a bloodbath. Yeah. I really do. I think this is going to be a division that cannibalizes itself. I don't think there's going to be a 12-win team in the division because I think they're all going to be trading wins and losses with each other, mm-hmm. especially the Jags and especially yeah. the Colts because they're going to have Andrew Luck back. This is, this is going to be an absolute bloodbath. And, uh, you know, it's kind of the same thing. People were ragging on the NFC West a few years back, you know, saying, oh, my God, the NFC West is terrible. All of a sudden, 2012 happens and three of those teams explode. And now you look at that division every single year like they're one of the best in the league. So you can go from a laughingstock division to a dominant division in one year. We've seen that happen a lot. And uh, there's a a very good chance that the South, the AFC South, that is, is going to be the division to do that next, especially when you look at all the quarterbacks there. Every single quarterback is either uh, proven to be elite or damn near elite or has the potential to be elite. Luck, Bortles, Mariota, Osweiler, all four of them are incredibly talented. All four of them have a lot of weapons to work with. I mean, this is going to be... a sneaky good division. Even the worst team in the division, the Titans, I think, can get some some good wins against decent, quality AFC teams. They got a lot better this offseason, too. So don't put this division behind you just yet. I I really think the Bears are going to be uh, in for a surprise when they face all four of these teams next year.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's what we were saying at, at the end of last season was, you know, man, I wish we could have played the AFC South in 2015 Because, you know, not saying that I knew all of this was going to happen, but I would much rather. I mean, looking forward to it after we had the NFC West and the AFC West last year is what the Bears had to battle their way through in year one with John John Fox. And, And knowing that we had the NFC East and the AFC South, arguably the two worst divisions in football last year. That's what we had to look forward in 2016, but after all these teams have had their chance to improve upon themselves and do this, that, or the other, you know, it may not be the the easy schedule that we thought it was going to be, you know, and it never is, you know, you think it's going to be that way, but, you know, off seasons do happen and and, uh, we'll have to wait and see if it really can uh, come help. But uh, you know, I, I agree with your assessment. It very well could be a bloodbath, like you were saying a minute ago. You know, the division winner might only be a ten and six team, but that's going to be a battle-tested ten and six team that could be just a, ready for just about anything oh, yeah. when it goes to the playoffs.
2: Nobody's going to want to play whoever wins the AFC South. I'll tell you that much. Nobody's yeah. going to want to play them because they're going to yeah. they're going to be through a gauntlet. They're going to be battle-tested, and there is nothing that all four of these teams from the AFC South are going to see in the regular season that uh, is going to be any better in the playoffs they're they're going to be facing everybody every elite team they're going to be playing against so they're not going to see anything different in the postseason than they saw in the regular season it's going to be rough
1: yeah and like I said I've been saying to everybody that it's like you know the the AFC South is the division that I'm looking forward to is seeing how it all kind of uh, pans out and and because of the moves that everyone made the improvements how much better everyone appears to be uh, on paper I wouldn't be surprised if any one of them won the division they sh- I mean maybe I'd be a little bit more surprised if the Titans did but the Jaguars the Colts the Texans any they all seem primed uh, to make a move and it's uh, it's almost a shame that they're all in the same division with each other
2: yeah I mean throw a dart at a wall with all three team names on it and you have just as much chances guessing the division winners if you take 4 years to try to figure out you know every single matchup for every single team i mean it's it's completely 100% up in the air cuz all three teams are very talented all three teams have quarterbacks they've got weapons and they have great defenders on on every single team as well and uh, it might just come down to uh, how the ball bounces on game day i can't imagine they're going to be blowing each other out i i believe i truly believe Between those three teams, every single game between them is going to be a one-possession game because they're all very evenly matched.
1: So two little random questions I got before I let you go. Um, My listeners have heard me say this a million times, but I am a self-professed uniform snob. Okay, And one thing that I hate more than anything in the NFL at this point is that whole color rush thing. where they wear the same same color from head to toe. Now, the Texans have been guilty of this even before the color rush thing happened, but please tell me that you hate that head-to-toe red outfit that they wear whenever they, you know, because they've done it a few times. Like, they usually save it for, like, thursday night football or a national tv date when they pull out this uniform because aside from that the 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 dark blue and the white pants you know and and the helmets uh, i've always loved that that outfit was always and even their away uniforms the whites with the blue bottoms and stuff like that you know I i always been a big fan of, of their uniforms and how they look on the field is the red one an absolute eyesore to you as well
2: i mean i i work for the network and even i hate them I mean, they're 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 just awful. They're, they they're are. awful in so many ways. Yeah, they're they're jarring to the eye. I mean, I know we all want to kind of replicate the the obnoxious Oregon uniforms because everybody <laughs> thinks they're so cool. But yeah, ugh, leave that to college. It's it's yeah. so awful.
1: I, yeah, because <laughs> even that that Thursday night game last year between the the Titans and the and the Jags. Where they had the the mustard yellow versus the powder blue. I mean, and then everybody also remembers the condiment bowl between the Rams and the <laughs> yeah. Buccaneers last or, year, or
2: the colorblind bowl between the Jets and yeah. the Bills.
1: <laughs> yeah yeah so... or oh, the, or God. the gray bowl for all you colorblind people out there. You couldn't not, you couldn't see the grass, you couldn't see the players or anything like that. It was just one big gray blur. How does nobody uh, think to... of that? That's yeah. I mean
2: that had to go through so many people to get approved, and nobody thought really red versus green, solid colors. That's gonna work. Okay.
1: And apparently, aren't they playing each other on Thursday Night Football again this year? I think they are, but they'll probably uh, have
2: different colors. It'll probably be blue versus green.
1: Maybe. So you can only not see the the Jets this time. I
2: I tell you this much. They definitely heard the criticism of of the colorblind. Yeah, because Twitter,
1: (laughs) they they damn near broke Twitter just talking about it the night of the game and everything. They know what they did. I'll tell you that much.
2: They know what they did.
1: And then my final question for you, I forgot to ask you at the start of the show, was um, what is your favorite moment as a Texans fan? Is it that first playoff win? Uh, you know, What would be your favorite moment as a Texans fan?
2: Andre Johnson scoring his first playoff touchdown because he was waiting so long. The fan base was waiting so long to get him to the playoffs and to see him destroy Pac-Man Jones on an out-and-up and, and get an uncontested touchdown – and that was that was the sweet moment. And we knew we weren't gonna win the Super Bowl that year. We weren't good enough. And we ran into the, the Ravens buzzsaw in the postseason one week later, but to see Andre Johnson get a playoff touchdown was that was really special to us.
1: All right. Well, Brett, um we'll we'll you know, we got each other week one, so We're either going to get the year off right or wrong, depending on which side of the coin we happen to be on when that game takes place on Sunday. But I'm definitely looking uh, forward to it. And I'd I'd love to have you back on the week of the game so we can kind of compare notes and what's gone down in in training camp, who's healthy, who's not, who's ready, who isn't. And uh, we'll see if we can get 2016 kicked off right.
2: Absolutely. I'd love to come back.
1: Okay, great. So, Brett Coleman, it's BattleRedBlog.com, right? Absolutely, yep. Okay, and where can we find you on Twitter?
2: Uh, you can find me on Twitter at uh, com slash Brett Coleman, or you can find any of my uh, video X's and O's breakdowns on com slash Brett Coleman. Uh, it's uh, K-O-L-L-M-A-N-N, and uh, I have various episodes up there. My next one you'll be very interested in because it's on Pernell McPhee. Uh, oh. I'm, t- I'm taking a look at all the defenders, the, the top flight defenders, the Texans are going to be facing next season. He was the first one that stuck out to me as, as somebody that made you say, oh, crap, we've got to play against Brunel McPhee. So that will be my next episode, and uh, I'll make sure to shoot you a link when that happens.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, make sure, you, make sure you tag me that on, on, on Twitter so I can spread that, uh, spread that about. So, so thanks so much, uh, Brett, uh, for being on the show. We look forward to seeing you first week in uh, September. See you then. So that was Brett Coleman from BattleRedBlog.com uh, from SB Nation and the lucky bastard works for the NFL network. How about that, huh? Wow. Yeah, I did not know that, as you heard me say. Uh, not aware of that. I would have been much nicer to him much earlier on if I'd have known that. <laughs> hey, all right. That's what you know, you're awesome. Let's be friends. Can I come to LA and hang out or what? So uh, anyway, you know, like I said, lots of great information especially interested in, in the, the comments about uh, Brock Osweiler and, you know, the years that he was backing up Peyton, it was Adam Gase's offense. He's basically being trained to take over uh, that offense at some point and, and kind of be in the freewheeling, making adjustments at the line of scrimmage and then being handcuffed by Kubiak and his restrictive offense, you know, like I said, kind of gave him credence as far as his claim is saying, no, I didn't just leave because I was pissy about being benched. He didn't want to go back. Back to being stuck in that offense again, and uh, you know wanted to be able to run the offense that the Texans are running very similar to the one that Gase and company would run in uh, in Denver. So you know it's uh, you know you forget how how connected uh, these the you know the, the you know the bears are to the broncos or you know the connection that we have with brock osweiler because he was being mentored under uh adam Gase uh for the for the for the first three years of his career adam Gase was there uh in denver and um you know to to see that uh that offense that he was running, that he was that he felt like he was a great fit for, that he was more comfortable running, was the reason that he left. And that's why he's not in Denver, not so much because he has sour grapes about being benched and not being the quarterback that led the Broncos to the Super Bowl, but because he wanted to be able to run the offense and be trusted uh, to run the offense, which is the opportunity he seems to that he's going to be getting uh, in Houston. And to listen to Brett talk about it, Happier days are ahead for for Houston Texan fans, you know, regardless of the fact that they were in first place. They got that early boot in the wild card round, and they went out and, you know, strengthened up that offense. They have this defense. People are coming back and getting healthy uh, and everything. So it could, you know, and like I said at the beginning of the show, listening to him and talking about it and the research that I've done, it really does seem like the South is the Texans' division to lose and everybody else is going to be chasing uh, after them, so we'll see how it all uh, how it all shakes out as the season uh, comes along. So that will officially close the book on the AFC South. We got through all four teams. We went from worst to first, starting with the Titans and Dan Cotton, Colton Manziel with the Jaguars, uh, Josh Wilson for the. Uh, for the Colts, and of course Brett Coleman uh, for the Texans. We want to thank them all uh, for coming on the show, and looking forward to having them all back uh, during the regular season. Uh, we'll be having Brett first because we got Week One at Houston with the Texans. Going to be an interesting matchup there. And uh, now we move on. We move on to the NFC East. Now And when we go from worst to first, up first, believe it or not, it's the Dallas Cowboys. And Tom Ryle from uh, bloggingtheboys.com on SB Nation will be up first. We'll have him early next week. Then Patricia Trana I was finally able to get somebody for the Giants, Patricia Trana And she is all over the place. She's on Bleacher Report, InsideFootball.com. You know, if you go to her Twitter feed, it's uh, Patricia underscore uh, Trena.com on twitter you just look at her profile there are like five or different it'll probably be a shorter list of places that she doesn't write for so uh we'll, we'll figure out what her home base is when we have her on the show but she's going to be talking to us about the new york giants and then um we'll have brandon Gouton uh from the eagles uh, SB nation page and our good friend mike harrar from uh, hogs haven uh, on SB nation to talk about the redskins because the Redskins were the first place finisher in the NFC East last year. Then we move on to the NFC North and wrap things up with the Bears on the 14th and final show. So we'll be back in a few days. I'd probably say Tuesday ish, somewhere around there, uh, with Tom Ryle talking about the Dallas Cowboys as we move on uh, from the AFC South to the NFC East. So. Really looking forward to diving into this division because both the AFC South and the NFC East, arguably the two worst divisions in football last year, and you know the two divisions that really went out there trying to improve so that they don't repeat 2015. So uh, uh, looking forward to talking to Tom how much, how badly, how badly did 2015 suck with no Tony Romo and then watching him come back, only get hurt again, uh, and so on? And how is that, how excited is he about 2016? Is he just drooling over the possibility of Ezekiel Elliott behind that offensive line? Is Des Bryant going to be back and healthy and, you know, worthy of that contract that he signed going into 2015 and so on? We'll answer all those questions and more when we come back. But until then, my name is Larry D, and this has been... The Chicago Bears Review
0: I live for the meet, I live for the day. Doing my thing and you're doing your own yeah.
1: Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding your tail.